Now, this Christmas season, uh, well, the Christmas season is upon us, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, I can see that we haven't yet got into it just yet <laughs> by the singing of that uh, first carol. Uh, the Christmas season is upon us, and every year that passes, uh, I find myself, uh, I find Christmas, to be honest, uh, more difficult to celebrate with each year that passes. Uh, because it is now so secularized, we have to admit that. It, it looks beyond recognition, doesn't it? I'm sure you've already seen the MLS advert, right? And what, what is it doing? It is encouraging us to celebrate Christmas how we want to celebrate rather than following the traditions of Christmas, like sending cards and being around family, wearing hats and playing board games and that sort of thing. According to, to Eminence, the, the strap line this Christmas is, this Christmas, do what you love. Do what you love. Do you. Really, that's what they mean. And, and of course, the best way to do you is to shop at Eminence until your Christmas trolley is uh, a fool. <laughs> right? That's the idea. You see, Christmas is supposed to celebrate, true Christmas, is supposed to celebrate that God our Creator has come into the world, that God our Creator has written Himself into the pages of human history. And He has come as one of us. He has come in the Lord Jesus Christ to serve us. Uh, when I think of Christmas, I, see, I, I, I think of it as what the Scripture teaches. It is meant to be a welcome party for God. <laughs> but instead of that, uh, much of society, for much of society, it is a time to celebrate ourselves. Rather than celebrate God, it's about celebrating ourselves. It is really a festival of narcissism now, isn't it? And of course, as you think about that, it raises a huge question, doesn't it? What is the right way for us to celebrate Christmas? What is the right way for us to treat it? How should we engage with it? Should we just ignore it and, you know, in a sort of British Chumbawamba spirit, just keep calm and carry on while Christmas is going on? Just let it pass. Well, well I believe the answer is actually in the Bible, isn't it? We must respond to Christmas the way the first people who experienced it responded. We must respond to it the way the first people witnessed the coming of Jesus into the world responded. And today we are resuming our series in Luke. Luke is full of examples of how the first people received Jesus responded. And this, this morning we have come to one of the passages that, say that answers that question. How should we respond to Christmas? Please look at me at Luke chapter 1, verse 67 and to verse 18. Uh, this is, of course, Zechariah's prophecy. Now, it's been a while, four weeks since we looked. We were in Luke, so just to remind you, just before these verses, what have we seen? We've seen the angel Gabriel come to Zechariah in the temple and promise that Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth will have a son against all the odds. They will be able, they will be, they will have, they will be parents in their 80s, we think, to have a son in old age. And the son will be called John. And we are told by Gabriel that he will be a great prophet who will prepare the people for the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we've seen that. We've also seen that the angel has visited the Virgin Mary. He has told her that she is also going to be a mother. 
She is going to be a mother to God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, who is entering this world as the Messiah of his people. The angel has also told her that Mary's relative, Elizabeth, who is old and barren, uh, is also pregnant. And, and Mary, we have seen Mary go to see Elizabeth for herself. And we've seen that at the end of the visit to Elizabeth, Elizabeth has given birth to the baby of our old age. Now, you remember that when the angel visited Gabriel in the temple, God had struck Zechariah deaf and dumb because he didn't believe the promise. And God had done that until the baby is born. So we have seen then that as soon as the baby is born, this baby being John, God has lifted, if you like, the curse, the punishment on Zechariah. Zechariah is now able to speak. And as soon as God lifts that punishment on the eighth day, uh, because that was the day John was named, uh, Zechariah starts praising God. We've seen that. And everyone is blown away. He's amazed with the words that Zechariah has to say. And Luke records this for us in in, in verse 64 there. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verse 64 to 66. Let me just read it for you again. And immediately his mouth, that is Zechariah, was opened and his tongue loosed. And he spoke, blessing God. And fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the ill country of Judea. And all who heard them led them up in their hearts saying, What then will this child be? For the hand of the Lord was with him. So the baby John is born, he's been named, Zechariah speaks, for the first time after nine months, and he has a lot to say, as we'll see in a moment, right? Uh, he speaks and everyone is blown away, right? Now, in verse, in verse 64, we are not given the words. The words are actually then given to us, right? In Luke inserts the words, I believe, that Zechariah speaks from verse 67 to verse 79, and the reason Luke has done that is that he wants us to focus on these words. In fact, they work like, the way it's done is like a sandwich. He explains the narrative. He has these verses in between, this poem, uh, this prophecy. And then he gives John's bio, right, in verse 80. He really wants us to draw attention to that middle. Luke has included Zechariah's words because he wants to teach us two truths about how we should respond to the coming of God into the world. First, the first response is that we are meant to praise God. So this prophecy is all about Zechariah praising God for the coming of Jesus. Not simply uh, for, 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 for the birth of John the Baptist. It's actually about Jesus. Right? Praise is the first response. The second response is that we are meant to proclaim the coming of Jesus in the world. Now... This morning, we're going to look at these two things. We could have done as one sermon. I think we'll be here the whole day, right? Uh, like literally for hours. So I'll split it in two, right? This morning, I want us to look at responding to the coming of Jesus with praise. We are meant to respond to Jesus with praise. This evening, we are me- we'll look at uh, why we should proclaim the coming of Jesus and the importance of doing that. So please look with me there at verse 67 to 75. Uh, um, that's the main focus this morning. In these verses, Luke actually gives us two reasons, two reasons I want to give you this morning, on why we must praise God for the coming of Jesus in the world. Two reasons. 
and they are on your outline. The first reason is that Jesus has come to free us from evil. The second reason is that Jesus has come because of his faithfulness. Let's look at the first reason. The first reason that Jesus has come, we must celebrate the coming of Jesus in the world because Jesus has come to free us from evil. He has come to free us from evil. Now, as you know, on the 7th of October, the the Islamic terrorist group Hamas attacked Israel, didn't it? And over 1,200 people were butchered in cold blood. Around 240 of them were taken hostage. And as we've been seeing that tragedy unfold, it has led to intense diplomatic and political efforts and even military efforts to free up the hostages. And over the last week, we have been really, um, we have been happy, haven't we, to, to be relieved, perhaps is the right word, to see some hostages walk free, right? Now, sadly, as we think about that, many of them are still being held in chains by Hamas. They have no freedom. And Israel will keep working as hard as they can to bring the hostages back for as long as there is time to do it. Now, when we think about this huge effort and people's concern about these hostages, it is a reminder to all of us, isn't it, that all human beings value freedom. No one here wants to be a slave. No one here wants to be held hostage by anyone. We value human freedom. The French philosopher Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. Man is born free, but everywhere he is in chains. I've thought about this this, this quote by Rousseau actually for a very long time, ever since I had it in my uh, A-level class of history. It has always struck me. In fact, it's the first thing perhaps I remember um, from my A-level history class, if I think about it now. Because over time, I have considered this, and I've realized that Rousseau was right on the second point, but wrong on the first. It is true that man everywhere is in chains. He's right about that. And it is not just that there are many people today in modern, or what we might call modern slavery, or people that are in prison that that have no freedom, right? It's actually much worse than Rousseau realized. We are all living under the physical prison of human suffering. Every person here falls sick. Every person here at some point is imprisoned by some sort of pain. And of course, all of us, when we think about it, all of us are chained by death. We are all under the prison of death. No one can escape the prison of human death. One day you will die. It's a fact. If the Lord tarries, you're going to die. We are all slaves of death. And we don't just lack physical freedom. We actually lack mental freedom as well. We we also lack social freedom. So when I think about the the Russell score that that, that the man is born free by everywhere is in chains, he's right that actually man is in chains, is in social chains, mental chains, and of course physical chains. I would call that material chains. We are not materially free. But again, it's worse than that. Because we don't just lack physical, mental, and social freedom. All human beings are born without spiritual freedom. And that's why Rousseau's quote is wrong. Man is born free. No. 
Man isn't born free because all human beings are born without spiritual freedom. When God created us, we had perfect physical and spiritual freedom. Or material and spiritual freedom. But we rebelled against God. And the consequence of our rebellion is that all of us now are now slaves of sin. Slaves of death. Slaves of Satan. And slaves of hell. Every human being is born as a spiritual slave. Period. Yes, I know... You're not going to hear this in the classroom at school. You're not hearing that. They say, you can be free. They're like Lady Gaga. I want to be free, she says. That's what they're telling you, right? But no, you are not born free. You are born as a spiritual slave. It's a bleak situation everyone is born in. And here's the key point. We lack material freedom, that physical, social and, and mental freedom because we have no spiritual freedom. That's the point. For us to live truly free human lives as God intended, as God created us, right? We first need to be spiritually free. Spiritual freedom is prior to all freedoms. And here's the issue we can't make ourselves spiritually free, it is above our pay grade. We need God to take away our rebellion and punishment against him. We need God to come and free us spiritually. And according to the Bible, God has done that. According to the Bible, the freedom comes by living under the rule of God, free from his judgment, by God coming to reign over us. And the wonderful truth of the Bible is that God has done that. That's what Christmas is about. God came in Jesus that first Christmas to free us, to give us spiritual freedom, to free us from all evil and to rule over us as our king. That's what the Bible teaches. This is the living word of God. This is the truth of God. If you grasp this, if you really get this, it will transform your life. And we see here that Zechariah doesn't it? Zechariah starts off by praising God, by explaining this truth. He starts off by praising the one true God of Israel for entering this world through the womb of Mary to free his people. Look at verse 66, 67 to 71. And his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied saying, Blessed be the God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people and has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets, that's the Old Testament, from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the end of all who hate us. Two things to immediately notice as you look at those verses. First of all, God has visited his covenant people, Israel. The word visited uh, is not like sort of popping down Morrison's being used like that here, no. Visited is used a lot in the Old Testament. We find it in Exodus 4 verse 31, 1 Samuel 2 verse 21. It means God has remembered his people and he has come to bless them. And Luke is going to use it again actually in chapter 7, 7 verse 16 to speak of Jesus, to say that's what the people would say. God has visited these people. In other words, God is now among us in Jesus. 
So visited is the first word we notice there. The second crucial word is that God has redeemed his people, Luke says. What is redemption? Well, to redeem is to free something by buying it back. What's another word for redemption? Ransom, isn't it? A bit of what the Israeli government has done. It is ransoming back the hostages. It's freeing these 150 to get 50 back. So that's, that's, that's redemption. It has that idea. You know, the Bible is full of events of God showing us of God redeeming his people. If I ask you that, where in the Bible does it show redemption? I'm sure you can think of many, right? My favorite story of redemption in the Bible concerns the prophet Hosea and Gomer. The wife left the prophet Hosea and sold herself into prostitution. God shockingly told Hosea, he's shocking, right? To show his wife mercy by buying her back from prostitution to redeem and pay for her freedom back. While she was living as a prostitute. That's redemption. The Christ is saying, this is what God has done. This is what God is doing. He has come to bail us out of our hostage situation. He has come to free us from evil. And to be more precise, the evil for Zechariah and these people is first and foremost physical or material, isn't it? The people of God have real physical enemies who are doing them harm. That's what he, he says there. Did you see that in verse 71? That we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Who are these enemies? Well, Israel is currently under, as Zechariah is prophesying, it's under the colonial rule of Rome. Rome, Rome. Rome has installed the puppet king, King Herod, right? He is as evil as he gets. We, we'll meet Herod, right? Uh, Israel longs for physical freedom. Material freedom. Now, remember what I said. The reason... Spirit, Spiritual freedom is prior to physical freedom, right? So the real reason the people of Israel are in this situation, if you know your Bible, why are they living under Rome? Well, it's not simply because Rome is a preeminent military power in human history. That's us looking at history through the eyes of the world. But if we are looking at human history through the eyes of the Bible, we will understand that the reason why Rome is enslaving Israel is not because of its power, it's because the people of God Israel have rebelled against God. That's the story of the Bible. When God chose Israel in the Old Testament to be his people, they signed a binding legal agreement with God at Sinai for them to live obediently before God. And God in the Bible warned Israel that if they broke this covenant, this contract, he will punish them by doing what? By handing them over to the nations. And through our history, we see God raising nation after nation as a road of discipline. Sometimes as a way to free Israel, but we think of Babylon, God raised them up as a road of discipline, right? And the same thing is happening, therefore, at the time of uh, Zechariah. God has raised up Rome, as it were, because God's people have rebelled against him. All of human history is about God's story of redemption. That's the way to understand human history. And so they have lost their freedom because of their spiritual rebellion. In other words, as I said, the physical freedom Israel enjoyed depended on them first being spiritually free. They needed to live holy and righteous before God, but Israel has broken the covenant. 
So what does Israel need, right, to be free materially? Well, they first need God to come and establish a new covenant, a new spiritual relationship that will bring about a new spiritual freedom. And then once that spiritual freedom is sorted out, the self-remnant of Israel can live again totally free. They can be free from all their enemies, from all their spiritual and material enemies. And Zechariah is saying that God has now come by his mercy to free Israel from evil by coming in Jesus to pitch his tent among them as their king. Look at verse 69 and 71 there again. And he says, Blessed be the God of Israel for he has visited and redeemed his people and has done what? Raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David as he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be served from our enemies and from the end of all who hate us. The salvation God has brought is coming through the horn of salvation. What does that mean? What is the horn? Well, the horn is a symbol of great power and strength. The metaphor of the horn actually is taken from an ox, Right? Defending itself and attacking enemies with horns. The one who has come to serve his people is the Lord Jesus Christ. Who on his human side, as Zechariah says, is a descendant of King David. And yet he is also God. And as we read on, you just scan there in verse 76. You see that Zechariah there reveals that this one is the most high God himself. So Jesus is the Lord God himself coming as a king who will free his people from evil. The work of King Jesus freeing his people, Israel, from evil will start with restoring their spiritual freedom, right? God must first free them from their sins and then the material freedom will come. That's the point of verse 76 to 79. Look at that again. We'll look at it more closely this evening. Zechariah stand to now bless his child John the Baptist, and he says this, and you child will be what? You'll be called the prophet of the Most High, for you go before the Lord to prepare his way, before the own of salvation, before the Lord, to give knowledge of salvation to his people in the forgiveness of their sins. Because of the tender mercy of our God, whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high, to give light to those who sit in darkness, and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. We'll look at verse 76 to 79 in more detail this evening. But essentially, Zechariah is saying that John has been chosen by God to point people to the horn of salvation, the Lord Jesus Christ, right? Jesus, the horn of salvation, has come to serve his people spiritually first. His people are everyone, right? Jews and non-Jews who truly repent and trust in Jesus as their king. That's altogether consistent with the covenant with Abraham. God was meant to work through Abraham to redeem the nations. And so Jesus has come to create a new people as we've been studying in Zephaniah chapter 3. If you're trusting in the Lord Jesus this morning, the death of Jesus on the cross... Right? Has set you free from evil. It has set you free from all your spiritual enemies. 
You are free from sin, death, hell, and Satan. King Jesus did not just die for us, beloved. He also rose for us from death, didn't he? And the resurrection of Jesus has broken the gates of death and given us new life in Jesus. We might say the stone of our spiritual imprisonment has been rolled away, beloved. Sin, Satan, death, and hell are now subdued. Are now defeated by King Jesus. We are free. We've discussed that in Zephaniah and we've seen it preached to us in Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 to 14. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. If you are in Jesus, you have been freed from spiritual evil. And this spiritual freedom is just the beginning, isn't it? A time is coming when the presence of evil will be removed. Zechariah speaks of that, doesn't he? We will live with God forever. Look at verse 73, again there, to 75. Look how it extends this from the, mati- from the spiritual to the material now. To grant us, he says in verse 73, verse 74, that we being delivered... From the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. It's, it's the end of Psalm 23, isn't it? All our days. What is Zechariah saying? Zechariah is saying God has come in Jesus to bring us home to be with him so that we can serve him and enjoy life in his presence. We have been wandering lost and far away from God. We have been living rebellion against the Lord our God. This is why we have lost material freedom. But God has not forgotten us. He has remembered us in his mercy. He has come to bring us home to himself. And a a time is coming when the presence of all evil will be removed from us. First the spiritual, then the material freedom. And Luke has included these words, hasn't he? Because he's teaching us to respond to Christmas, the coming of Jesus, by praising God because Jesus has come to free us from all evil now and forever. If you are trusting in Jesus, whatever is going on in your life at this very moment, if you are a true follower of Jesus, praise God that he came that first Christmas to free you from your spiritual slavery from sin. You are no longer a slave to sin. You know, it's a wonder, it's a most wonderful and sad thing about being a believer. The wonderful thing is that you are truly free. If the Son sets you free, you are free indeed. You are joined to Christ when Christ rose from death. He broke the claim of Satan over your life. No Christian is really addicted to anything. You are free. That's, that's, just, that's, that's where we're going to start from. You are free. But it is sad, isn't it? At the same time. The sad thing is, what that tells us is that when Christians sin, it's different from non-Christians. Christ, Non-Christians are under the bondage of the will. Under the bondage of their sin. They are living consistent with the flesh. They have an element. They have lost really free will. As a result of sinning. 
But you, as a believer, when you sin, you actually have a choice not to sin. And that's tragic, isn't it? God has saved you from so much, and then you're choosing, and your choice is real, to sin. And the key to, therefore, not living under, as it were, giving into the ages that press on us, is to praise God for giving us this freedom from sin. You need to let this truth that you are no longer a slave to sin. To sink deep in. And you need to preach it to yourself day in, day out, and sit under the word as it preached to you. So praise God this Christmas that you are no longer a slave of sin. Praise God that Jesus our King has also set you free from the slavery of death. You are not spiritually dead anymore. You are now alive in Christ Jesus. God the Holy Spirit has breathed new life into you. And every day you are now growing to be more and more like King Jesus. Praise God that one day when you die physically, right, if the Lord tarries, you will be immediately in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Yes, death is still a reality in the here and now, but we are no longer enslaved. You see, death for the believer has now become a life gate that ushers us into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know, that's not the end. One day God will raise you up on that last day. With a new mortal body and a new character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So pr- this Christmas, praise God for these realities that has come as a result of Jesus coming to us. That first Christmas. Praise God that King Jesus has set you free from the slavery of the devil. Every human being lives in Satan's household by default. But praise God that Jesus has come to bind the strong man. And he has rescued you from Satan's household. Yes, it is true that as long as we are in this world, Satan will harass us. But beloved, if you are a true believer, that's not the big picture. The big picture of your life is that you are not under Satan's power anymore. You have been transferred from the domain, the household of darkness, into the kingdom of your beloved son. Into the kingdom of his beloved son. Not your beloved son. His beloved son, right? Our King Jesus has set us free from our deadly for Satan. You know, we should look at Satan as being on the leash because he is on the leash. He is a lion with no teeth. He can only arrest us from afar. We are free from Satan. As a hymn writer says, though Satan should buffet, though trials should come, let this blessed assurance control. We sing that, isn't it? That Christ, Christ has regarded my helpless estate. And shed his own blood for my soul. So what's the, what's the response to that the refrain? It is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Because why? Why is it well with my soul? Because Christ Jesus has freed me from the stranglehold of the devil. Do you believe that as you sit here? You hear this week in week. The question for you is, do you believe that as a believer? Well, if you believe that this Christmas, get excited afresh. Not about the shopping and the presents. <laughs> Don't say I tell you to, to, to fill up that trolley. Not that. Uh, get excited this season about adoring Jesus, our King who has come to set us free from evil. And you know what? The proof that we really mean our praise to God for the coming of Jesus is that our words match our actions. 
or our actions match our words, right? We must live as his obedient subjects in practice. Tolerating sin in your life mocks the truth of Christian of Christmas. King Jesus has come to free you from sin and he's done it. Why then do you mock Jesus by holding on to sins? Do not mock his salvation by wallowing in sin. Oh, 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 praise must be matched by action. Remember, you are free now in Christ to say no to sin. And yet if we are honest, we are all susceptible to cheapening the glorious work of Christ. We give in too easily to the slavery of sin and, and Satan. You know, we are like, we are often like victims of Stockholm Syndrome, right? We fall in love with that which wants to hold us captive. Oh, beloved, what a shameful way to live. Imagine those Jewish hostages falling in love with Amas. It's unthinkable. It can't happen. But we do that. We do that with sin. Satan had held us captive before we came to know Jesus. And yet we just so easily go back to him. We go back to our slavery. We listen to the lies of Satan that our sin is a gateway to freedom. We listen to the world that, it, that sin is freedom. We forget, no. Those are the chains. Our sins, our temptations are the chains that held us captive. It is what Christ has come to set us free from. I wonder, are you in that situation this day? Are you allowing yourself to drift towards darkness? Back to the spiritual vomit of darkness. Oh friend, this morning, come quickly before the Lord Jesus Christ. If you truly know him, cry out to your deliverer. Oh Lord Jesus, deliver me afresh from my wretched and wandering heart. Oh, don't toy with sin. Don't debate with what, that which seeks to hold you captive. Cry out to Jesus, deliver my redeemed life from giving in to the allure of darkness. Help me to have a heart that prizes this freedom you've purchased for me on the cross. Cry out to Jesus this morning. With the hymn writer George Matheson, isn't it? I love that hymn where he says, Make me a captive Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword, and I shall conquer a bee. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. And then Matheson says, Imprison me with thine hands. And strong shall be my hand. Do you get what he's saying? First spiritual freedom, then no other freedom. And how do we have that spiritual freedom? By surrendering to Jesus. We must become enslaved to be delivered from the slavery of sin, death, hell, and Satan. And we must go on living as a slave of Christ. So the first reason we should praise God this Christmas is that Jesus is God coming as our king to free us from evil. The second reason, and I'll be quick, I'll be quick, right? The second reason is this. It's in your outline, Jesus has come because of his faithful mercy. We should praise Jesus for what he has done. We should praise Jesus, God for what he has done in Jesus, for the work of Jesus, and we should praise God for who Jesus is. What has motivated Jesus to come and rescue us? Jesus has come because he's full of faithful mercy. You know, all of us want people in our lives we can rely on. I hope you do. All of us need people. 
to be reliable, to count on them. This church needs people it can count on. We need people that are committed to the life of the church. Why? Because we are all dependent beings, aren't we? We are finite. We need each other. Our human lives depend on the goodness of other people around us. Your life depends on the goodness of your man. And their life depends on the goodness of their man. <laughs> right? We all need each other. We need people to we need we need to be able to count on others. We want them to act towards us in her, in line with how they are promised us, right? Other people's faithfulness matters to us. Everyone who's married especially knows that. But listen, we don't just need people to keep their word to us. That's that's the start. What we really need is we need them to be merciful to us. Why do I say that? Well, because we are not always faithful. <laughs> right? If other people, if, if your wife treated you based on your faithfulness, your marriage will end tomorrow. Simple. You don't just want faithful people, you want merciful people. Because we know we are not faithful. If people only kept their promises based on our faithfulness, life would be very difficult. So what we really want is we want faithful mercy. That's what I call it. So I've just combined those two words. We want faithful mercy. We want people who keep their word out of mercy to us. They see we don't deserve it, but they're still keeping their mercy to us. And of course, no one is perfectly like that. We're just human. But as we've been going through Luke, we have already seen that God... He's like that. That's the amazing thing about the God of the Bible. He has faithful message. We can really depend on him. We can depend on him to keep his promise, not because he's not only because he has the power to keep it, but he's merciful to us. And after Zechariah, we see here, we, we see that after Zechariah praises God for coming to free his people, what does he do? He praises God for keeping the promises. He gave Israel in the Old Testament. Look at verse 70 there again. As he spoke, he says in verse 70, By the mouth of his holy prophets from of old, that we should be saved from our enemies and from the hand of all who hate us. Right? He says, To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember what? His holy covenant. The oath that he swore to our father. Abraham. What is the Quran saying? The Quran is saying, Lord God, you deserve to be praised because your visit to us is not some new plan that you just dreamed up. You have come to us because you have remembered the promise you gave our father Abraham in the book of Genesis to make him a great nation. You, 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 you could have turned your back on us, Zechariah said. You could have turned your back on us because we sinned against you. We are not as holy as you are. You, so you could have, you, 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 we broke your covenant, but you didn't turn your back on us. We deserve to be oppressed by other nations. And you could have just left us like that, but no, you have visited us. We recognize the oppression we are going through is the bed we made for ourselves, just as you warned us. And yet you haven't abandoned us in our filth and sin. You have shown us mercy. You have remained faithful and you have visited us with mercy. 
Zechariah is praising God for keeping his word to come in Jesus to free us from evil. He is praising the faithful mercy of God that Christmas brings. If you are a follower of Jesus, you have every reason as you sit here this morning to praise the Lord Jesus this Christmas because he has come to us out of his faithful mercy. Praise Jesus, beloved, as you sit here this morning for his love and commitment to you. If you are a believer, you know that the Lord Jesus is so self-giving, isn't it? So merciful to you. He has willingly come to be the king of repentance in us. Oh, praise Jesus for that. You don't deserve any of this. We don't deserve sharing life with Jesus. You know you don't love him as you should. Again, as the hymn writer says, God is your warmest thought. You have been set free from evil, not because you deserve it, but because of his unfailing love to you. Oh, friend, you have glory ahead of you because, Jesus, because of who Jesus is. He is faithful and merciful to you. You know, you don't have to worry about all that the future holds or what the devil is up to. Why? Because Jesus, your king, is keeping you safe in his palm forever by his faithful mercy. You don't have to stay up all night and worrying about this and that. You don't have to give excuses for this and that. Your life does not depend on you. It depends on the horn of your salvation. Jesus, beloved, is so committed to you. You know, even when you are doubting, as I thought about this, even when I'm doubting the mercy and faithfulness of Jesus, he always remains faithful to me. He's so committed to being with me forever. Friends, what a, what a wonderful gift Christmas is, isn't it? An opportunity for us to reflect on the loveliness of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, friends, Jesus is bigger than all your doubts and sins. And he's the gentle and merciful king. You know, beloved, Jesus is a meek king. He welcomes the weary and the weak in his presence. He has welcomed you. If you are in Jesus, beloved, know that Jesus is your never-failing friend, your protector, your own, your strength, when you are especially weak. The psalmist says, God is our ever-present help. Jesus is your very present help in your darkest hours, beloved. He's your ever-present king. He's your grace in every situation. He's your unfailing burden bearer. Jesus is your merciful and never-failing friend. He's the king who supplies all your needs according to his riches in glory. He fulfills your every desire. Jesus is your refuge from the storms of life. Your cloud by night and your fire by day. Jesus is your son of righteousness, rising with healing in his wings. Jesus is our beautiful savior, our brother, our prophet, our priest, our king. Oh, beloved, this Christmas, meditate on the wonder of Jesus. I come and adore him as the carol says. I adore Jesus afresh for coming as our king to free us from evil so that we can be with him forever by his faithfulness. I don't know what you're going through this morning, but whatever situation you're in, if you're truly trusting in Jesus, 
you have much. Not only to be thankful for, but you have much to get, as we shall see this evening, active in saving King Jesus. So we've seen, haven't we? Two reasons to praise Jesus. Jesus has come to free us from evil. We can praise him for that, and we can praise him for who he is. Jesus has come because of his faithfulness. Now, if I ended here, I'd be doing some of you here a great injustice. Because this truth is in the Bible to remind anyone here who has not genuinely surrendered their life to Jesus to do it now. Be set free by King Jesus today. Friend, you have lived long enough in your spiritual slavery. You have lived long enough under the slavery of sin and Satan. You have lived long enough heading to the path that leads to hell. Why are you doing that? Why are you doing that? Let Jesus this morning set you free. You know, when Amas decided to release the Israeli hostages, I am sure no hostage said, look, I am not really sure about this. I am still deciding whether to be free or not. I've not seen enough evidence indicating that I'm really in chains here. Help me more here to understand my predicament. No, every human being knows in their own heart that they are a sinner and they are living under the tyranny of the evil one. So now the coming of Jesus to you is not a time for negotiation. It's a time for you to say, yeah, this is exactly what I've been waiting for. To be set free. No person in their right mind wants to live as a slave forever. And there is no way slavery than spiritual slavery. So as you hear me this morning, I am sure you do not want to stay the same. I am absolutely sure about that. I am sure you do not want to leave this chapel as you came today. You are yearning to be set free from the slavery of evil of your life. Regardless of how young or old you are. Deep down your heart you know the spiritual slavery of sin is a, is a foreign intruder. You, you know you were designed and created by God to live free in his kingdom. So today beloved don't do the unthinkable friend. Do not choose to remain as a hostage to the slavery of evil. Do not continue living uncuffed by your sin. To hell. I just want to say, especially for the young people here, I think the picture of those slaves, of those people held also, Jesus is the right picture. Because Satan, like a mass, doesn't care how young or old you are, he still holds you captive. But God has come in Jesus. Young or old, this morning, you can be set free. Don't choose to remain to continue to serve and worship the devil. That's what you're doing right now. You're worshipping the devil. The devil is your master. Don't remain like that. Don't continue to offer up your soul to him. That is unthinkable self-hatred. This morning, come to Jesus. Let him set you free from evil because a true follower of Jesus is a person who has been truly cleansed from their sin and has been given a new life. You can be free forever. So surrender yourself to Jesus. Tell Jesus you admit you are living under the slavery of evil. 
and you want Jesus to set you free. Come to Jesus and I said to you this morning, come genuinely. Do not merely tick the box. We have enough people in churches that have merely ticked the box. Now, come genuinely this morning. Not to fit in with others. Don't do it without a deep conviction of heart. That's a waste of time. If that's what you're going to do, don't do it. Your coming to Jesus must be a real turning to him. Heart and soul. Tell Jesus that you mean it truly. You recognize you're living in darkness and heading to hell. And the only way for you to be set free is the death and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so now you're putting your full weight on Jesus. You are surrendering yourself to him. And if you do that, Jesus, King Jesus, will set you free. Free to live with God forever. And free to enjoy his faithful mercy every day. Amen.